All right, welcome back to the Busted Header Podcast. I'm Chris, aka Not the Fake Webby on Twitter and Infamous Web on Reddit. As usual, I'm joined by a man who has played so many offline FIFA Ultimate Team matches that EA assumes he's a coin bot. Jake, aka Halbridius on Twitter. But I don't, I don't make any coins. That's the problem. I don't actually have a profit. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's kind of what they all do. So I hope, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed our summer content. Uh, got to do some soccer stuff, which is fun. Um, but I don't know about you, Webster. Mm-hmm. I think we want to probably focus less on current event stuff when it comes to the soccer pods and abstract that out into more of the multiple sport conversations like we did with the uh, player development conversation we had. And I think we have mm-hmm. more room to, to go in there. So um, I think we're going to try and do a couple more of those. At least I want to do a couple more of those. You've got a standing invite, but you don't have to be there. Uh, I'll get <laughs> Parks on board. Parks will come on board whenever I want. Um Mm-hmm. But we get to finally focus on on basketball, which is pretty cool. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we we have a game in like Friday soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. It 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 feels like honestly, it feels like the like season. I checked the ended. Champions League schedule <laughs> today because like I was like, oh, soccer, and then it was like, wait a minute, there's a Pistons game on my ESPN app. Ten seven, whatever ten mm-hmm. seven is, five days from now. The Monday. Yeah. Is that next Monday? I think that's Monday. Yeah, I think it's Monday. Are you ready? Yeah, it it, it came quick, so <laughs> my body is ready. I don't know if I am though. Your all your body has to do is sit, so it better be ready. Exactly, that's why it's ready. It's <laughs> peak, it's been born ready peak for that season form right here, right now. <laughs> the potato the potato chips are by my side. I got the pop in the fridge. We're ready to Just go. The pop. Yeah, pop in there as well. So. So today we're going to start going over the Pistons roster construction, starting with where else the big men. Um, so we're going to be talking about Blake, we're going to be talking about Andre, we're going to be talking about the rotation behind them, um, who's going to play, what it's going to look like, um, and kind of what we think will end up happening schematically uh, between the kind of the power forward and the center positions. Um, before we t- get to that, we're going to touch on a couple of recent notes we haven't had a chance to cover since we've been away. Um, starting with Michael Beasley, he has been cut, which doesn't really matter because he wasn't fully signed with us to begin with he had a contract it was never guaranteed i don't it's my Um, understanding is there wasn't even a contract in the first place there was an agreement that you know you'd make the the practice squad or whatever for summer or uh fall camp Mm -hmm. and you know we'll go from there i don't i don't even think there was any money spent i think he was just working out with the team in the hopes that he would get the 10 day when 10 day time came because the the team can't pay him for the off season anyway so the 10 day mm-hmm. doesn't even start until training camp which would have been now basically yep so no love lost there just in and out um but sometimes we did bring in to still a non-guaranteed uh contract is joe johnson so he's going to be here at least for camp. His expiration date is what October twenty, something like that. If I remember correctly. So he's going to be fighting for that last roster spot, um, hoping to stay with the team. Um, we'll talk about Joe a little bit more um, when we get onto one of our later podcasts where we go over the wing rotation. Um, but from what it sounds like, just from the you know, the the bites at media day and everything else, it sounds like he's got a good hold on that position for now. Yeah. I- We'll get to it. I, I'm a little frustrated with 
this Joe Johnson yeah. stuff, but whatever. Yeah. From the talk we'll, you, you're a little bit less than we'll get there. Yep. Um, and lastly, we want to talk with a great interview uh, with Dwayne Casey. It was up on a couple different websites, the Athletic, Free Press, and the Pistons site itself. There's a lot of good information on how the team's going to look out, which we'll talk about a bit through our upcoming couple podcasts. Um, but a great read there. I'd recommend reaching out and getting that yeah, done quick. We also just hit uh, Media Day, so lots of just little mm-hmm. tidbits being being laid out. I just thought it was really cool when it came content. to that Casey interview. Um, it's nice mm-hmm. to have a coach who's willing to sit down with, a you know I think, four or five of our beat writers, basically, and do kind of a... a Mm-hmm. more isolated interview than at some, you know, pre-game thing, etc. So to for him to give our guys the time like that was pretty cool. Yeah, seeing kind of that personal talk instead of a informal or like an impersonal press conference or something like that. It's nice to see and kind of cool to get that kind of content out there. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to cover before we go into the Let's hit it. the bulk of it? All right. So starting off today, we're going to start off with who else but Blake Griffin. Uh, it's still crazy to think about him being out there in a Pistons uniform, playing for us every single week. Um, so, I mean, where else can we start but with him? Uh, last season, he had a great year. He made, what, third team All-NBA? I believe mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yep. So he had a great season, uh, 25-ish points a game, eight boards, five assists. He's, like, right on the half roll, though, so <laughs> I don't know what to round up or round down on those. Uh, but a great season offensively for him. He shot the lights out. He was especially great from deep, um, from three. So any particular things you think uh, from last year that he hopefully worked on the offseason, anything you want to see from him? I, I think the big focus for him is going to be continuing that that shooting stroke, um, polishing that three-point shot. Uh, one of the noticeable things for him last year was he looked a lot more comfortable shooting off the dribble, like just with a rhythm dribble mm-hmm. than he did off the catch. Um, which isn't really surprising, uh, especially from that range. That's going to give you a little more power and rhythm in the shot. So uh, I think he's probably mm-hmm. going to want to focus a lot on that. And uh, but I mean, hopefully, just health, man. He needs to, he needs to be healthy. Yep. And it sounds like for the most part, he's yep. considering this. I think one of the media day quotes is that he considered this a healthy off season for him. Uh, I think uh, his knee mm-hmm. procedures, whatever he had done, sounds like he was he was back. Um, you know, ready to, to practice and ready to do his off-season regimen by, like, June. So that's good news. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing. I think we had a lot of players that kind of struggled with injuries and it seemed like they all went into this off-season healthy. And I hope that's going to be a lot better for us. I mean, the Pistons always seem to start really well going out the gate, uh, making sure that we stay healthy throughout and don't lose any strides early on yeah. the season there. I mean, the you, you say, what's a big number from last season? He played 75 games. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. he rested what three? I think were were DNP rest games, yeah. and then yeah, uh, what there would have been four that he missed at the end of the year with the knee issues before the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, to get only four injury games in a season out of Lake Griffin is a big deal, and hopefully it doesn't yeah. end up that extreme at the end of the season because I think really he was nursing it for a while before he he ended up stopping playing i think it was the okc game he got mm-hmm. hurt i don't remember yeah i want to say it might have been a bit before that i want to say but i think that's where he, he definitely re-injured it and was doing a lot worse after that um was the okc a couple games before the end of the year 
So yeah, I think health, especially with that, making sure that knee is healthy and he's able to go for the entire year is going to be important. Do you think we're going to get a uh, difference in rest management kind of going forward for this year? Uh, um, this is something that I don't think, obviously we didn't have a lot of it last year with Blake. He still played 75 out of 82 games. So that's one of the things. Um, but do you think it's going to I think it was Casey addressed, and I think uh, Ed Stefanski mentioned as well. They they say, you know, they're looking into it. Uh, Blake Griffin, I think, was quoted as saying, quote, I'm a believer in science <laughs> on media day. <laughs> which uh, um, Shots fired yeah. at Kyrie. So, uh, you know, I think, I think they all know that resting is good and that he can't play too much. But at the same time, uh, Dwayne Casey said uh, – they're not going to put him on like a minutes restriction. So it'll be whole games that he's left out of. And I personally think that that's the wrong way to approach this. Uh, it's, hmm. you know, sustained stress is the issue more than anything else. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how they handle it. I think we're going to see, um, you know, I, I think we will see him get, five six rest games the question will be what his minutes look like he played about uh 35 uh per game last mm -hmm. year so avoiding the you know the 44 minute overtime games that kind of thing would be a big deal as well so you'd prefer to have him on kind of the joel and bead uh you're not playing over a certain amount of minutes even if it goes to overtime double overtime triple i mean overtime. It's, it, you don't to... need to hard limit him but it is you know you're on a uh, four games and six nights, you know, road trip kind of thing. Like, you know what? He doesn't need to be playing 35 minutes in all those games. He should be playing 28 mm -hmm. in a couple of them. And, uh, yeah. In person, one of the, one of the ways I'd like to see more, uh, I guess minutes restriction is in those games when the other team just comes out to just an absolute fireball start and they're up by you know, 20, 25, 30 going at halftime. Maybe say, all right, Blake, you're, you're done for the night. You can relax. If we come back into the game, uh, maybe we'll think about putting you in, uh, but we'll let some of the young guys handle it and see if they can make a run uh, back, which I think has worked well um, in the past, especially I remember that a lot with Stan uh, when he was here. He would sit, you know, some on the bench, whether it be Andre for a little extended while, and all of a sudden the team came roaring back after some shooting and stuff like that. I would like to see a little more rusting in terms of that because I feel like Casey does a good job of just sticking kind of with his guns, even in games that are already lost and were getting blown out. Um, so that'd be one way that I'd kind of like to see Cut back on some nuts. I'm I'm torn on this, but if you're if you're looking at games for DNP rest, are you doing it purely off the schedule? Are you doing it? You know, um, are you saying all right, uh, second night of a back to back, we're just going to rest him on you know anytime there's a another game within two days or whatever? Are you going to say mm -hmm. we want to rest him against bad teams, or we want to rest him against good teams? I say you, you got to do it by, you know, the the nights where it's going to be like the back-to-backs and the, you got another game the next day, something like that. I would try and preempt it towards, if we can, towards the worst teams. But in the NBA, I mean, there are teams that are tanking, obviously, and those are kind of the exceptions. But most of them are still trying to win ball games, and they can stick up on any single night. I think the Pistons have found that out a bit in the past, especially in some of the games where we've rested Blake, is that all of a sudden this team comes out of nowhere, whether it be, I think, was it the Cavs last year? Um, we had arrested Blake for, and then all of a sudden they came out and beat us. Uh, maybe there was um, the game, uh, was the Hawks game, I think, where he got ejected, right? 
I remember it specifically being a Cavs game. Well, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking of the Hawks game wrong. where Vince Carter was going crazy and Trey Young went off, and we ended up winning, I think, by like one point at the end. And I think oh. Blake Griffin got ejected in like the second quarter or something like that. Yeah, I do remember that, but it was I can see it. It was game 70 last year. We lost to Cleveland. Um, it was a back-to-back. We beat Toronto the night before, and Blake had set out the next day. So stuff like that, you never know what team's going to you know have was, their one uh, night where they're – where they're shooting absolute fire Sacramento, from three. There was that uh, blowout against the Lakers, and then we went to Sacramento without Blake and got hit again. Because mm-hmm. uh, to me, yeah. I'm like, I part of me says I'd rather rest him against the teams where we're, you know, favored to lose. Favored to lose doesn't sound yeah. right. Where we're expected to lose by like eight points. Like you go to, uh, I guess, either the L.A. teams or The Clippers, now, I would say, this year. You know, and it's yeah. like, okay... You know, we've got one of the L.A. teams in the middle of a road trip. Do you just take that tactical loss and rest Blake because you're not expected to win? Because I feel like risking the wins you're expected to get against a a bad team. Like if you if you make that suddenly a 50 50 game instead of a 60 40 game like it's supposed to be, that's you know, you don't have too many games to waste like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I favor I think do it with... resting against the the better teams personally, but it's it's a hard choice. I still think I'd say you know the back to back and stuff like that, where it's more uh, games a certain amount of time more than anything else. But sure, I think either the the best teams in the league to rest up against you know the LA teams, whatever else it's going to. Be, I don't really know this year, so wide open for that. Or the teams at the bottom, the ones that you can tell are obviously tanking and barely have anyone that's NBA quality in there. I think would those be the two either ends of the spectrum, but really it should be like specifically you should be targeting like two or three teams on each side of it. Um, but all in all, I think it depends more on, you know, how many games and how many nights, that kind of stuff. All right. Personally. So moving on, um, so we're going to cover with each and every uh, player here is the trade status. So is he available? If you hear a rumor that Blake Griffin is going to be traded to the Hawks, how credible is it? So do you think, there is any reason that we'd be trading Blake this year. I think if somebody gets injured and like we end up like, you know, we're, we're on pace for 25 wins and Blake isn't mm-hmm. the guy who's injured. Maybe it's Andre, you know, maybe yeah. there's a fringe case where somebody else is like, you know what? We'll take Blake and we'll give you, you know, we'll give you real first round picks for him. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, maybe but like it's it's going to take some uh some some edge circumstances there i don't i don't think just in the run of the season if things are going as expected blake's on the table yeah i don't expect us like i don't even know what a godfather offer would be for blake at this point but i don't i don't foresee us getting that i think the only like i said the only the only reason i could see him being traded is if there's some injury to andre and we play a couple games with blake and we realize this is not the future that Blake and, you know, four shooters or whatever they're going to do. It's if, not going to work. If Andre goes down with an ACL injury and the Hawks come to you and say, we'll give you this year's first round pick and, you know, a protected one next year or something like that. Like mm-hmm. maybe I see them doing something because it's hard to pass that up. And we all know Blake's going to age out eventually, but I can't, I can't see it. Yeah. Just trade deadline. Blake Griffin gets moved. That, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm-hmm. And then I should also continue with that. The only, 
I wouldn't see him being traded for just picks alone. I think there would have to be some talented young players who have the ability to take a next jump. Because I know not necessarily that the front office or the ownership is in an entire win now, but I think they want they want to get something back that's tangible. They don't want just, you know, draft picks up the wazoo. They're not going to be, uh, you know, like the, the 76ers back in the day when you can give them a second round pick and they'd be overjoyed. The, I think they want actual The good back. news is I think he his value has improved since we picked him up. Um, oh, you know, two two definitely. less years on his big contract. You're still going to have to pay him a lot of money, but I don't think people, you know, when when we traded for him, a lot of people considered it to be a a contract deal more than anything else. You know, he, it was sunk money, and I I think he's recovered mm-hmm. his reputation, and the chopping two years off his deal now. I think I think that's shifted to the point where you're gonna like we gave up a mediocre first round pick and Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. I think you can get a good first round pick and maybe a nice young piece. You know, I I think you can get more value back. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, depending on how you feel about Tobias Harris, but I I think I think you can definitely yeah. recover value if he were to be on the table. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then as you kind of brought up, uh, looking into the contract uh, situation for him. So Blake is still under contract for this year and the next year guaranteed. Um, this year he's clocking at about $34 million next year at 36 and a half. So getting kind of pricey. And then the third year, the 2021-2022 season, he is at almost $39 million, which is a player option that I would be absolutely astounded if he doesn't that's, <laughs> accept that's that That's a contract. guaranteed year right there. That that is unless someone gives him the most wink wink nudge nudge deal of all time, he's going to take that forty million and see what I mean, he gets. There, next there are year. some players where they you know they'll turn down twenty million to take three years at fifteen million, that kind of thing. But nobody's going to be mm-hmm. offering him. You know, at at if he's if he's not, uh, unless he's overwhelmingly better than we expect him to be at that age, nobody's going to be offering him forty million plus in that follow-up contract so he's he's taken that that year and he's he's gonna be what probably 32 almost 33 at that point and i'm not gonna math yeah i'm not i'm not i'm just not picturing taking that so um anything else you want to touch on with blake before we move on no um just real happy he's here i did i did uh have a note here that we can uh talk about more when we get to the schematic stuff but uh just -hmm. looking at his three-point shooting it was a big deal obviously last year but something to keep in mind was how one-sided his three-point shooting was he hates shooting from the right side of the floor (laughs) hates it um Mm -hmm. he drives almost exclusively from that side and it was problematic last year for schematic reasons but just something to keep in mind um as i look at these overall stats here it's uh he, he shot, uh, what was it, 36% overall? And I don't even have the numbers, but I bet mm-hmm. you he shot 39% on the left and like 32% on the right kind of thing. It was bad. So um, yep. that might be something yeah. he works it, on um, in the offseason. It'd be really nice if he walked in and mm-hmm. was a little more reliable on the right side or at least a little less hesitant because he like was turning down open shots. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it is strange because you look back at his kind of career shot charts, and even before he was shooting threes, the left elbow was where all his mid range shots came from. So he's a very one 
uh, I don't want to say he's a one-sided player because like when he plays on the right side, he still does a lot of things, but it's all going to the basket. So um, mm-hmm. just one of those statistical observations that I definitely noticed last year, but was confirmed when we were, when I was laying out the kind of the stats here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, looking at the shot target link, like it is a hard stop right past, you know, a little bit of the center uh, top of the key. Like it's just, goes from 3% above league average, 3% under league average. So anything from like the right elbow onwards has not been kind for Blake. The good so, news is it's I empty mean, of mid-range shots. That I mean, that's the other yeah. major noticeable thing when you look at that shot chart is he. it looks like he maybe took 70 mid-range shots total. So that, mm-hmm. that is a really nice thing yeah. that he really adopted the three completely last year. Seven mm-hmm. seven yep. attempts a game. Wow, fire from that's, three. And... That's a big number. Yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> yeah. forgot how big yeah. that number was. Mm-hmm. And how much he's been sitting out there. And I mean, shooting thirty six percent as a whole, and like you said, probably a 37, 38, 39 on the left side, and a little bit less than the right. So, I'd be curious to see if that's something where the Pistons kind of game plan for and kind of keep him on that left side as much as possible, or if it's something that he's improved on over the summer. Hopefully, it's something we'll find out pretty quick into the year. Yep. All right, so moving on to the next player we're going to cover, of course, the other part of our big two down low, um, which is going to be Andre Drummond. So Andre last season had a, another pretty uh, great year, I would say. 17 points a game, 16 boards, still an insane amount. He led the NBA in rebounding again last year, if I'm I believe correct. so. Uh, and he was getting, I mean, five offensive boards a game is, is an insane amount. His assist numbers did go down last year. He was at 1.4 as opposed to 3 the year prior when he was handling the ball a lot before uh, we brought on Blake. But he's still doing a great job. He's got 3.4 stocks. He's one of the, probably the best big man at getting steals as well. So his active hands, his ability to be in the passing lanes really helped him a lot. Um, it's something that really does help shape our defense. And one of the reasons why that I say he's a better defender than people give him credit for. He's, he's a better defender as a whole then people give him credit for, and we can talk about that a little bit when we get to the schematic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because when when you look at what he's asked to do, he does it better than the people think, and it's the fact that he can't do what people want within the scheme that mm-hmm. I think he gets targeted for. But when we look over these stats, um, some things that jump out: uh, he didn't take any threes. That was kind of a big story was he was going to be taking threes. Like he averaged half a three a game. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so when, when, well, don't tell that to when, the Timberwolves when, though. <laughs> uh, when you see videos of players shooting threes in the off season and having fun, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah, he's seriously, he's not going to shoot threes and it doesn't matter. Um, he, uh, he was almost at 60% for his free throw percentage. Um, I believe mm-hmm. his attempt rate, I got to, I got to, bring back up uh come on basketball reference give me yeah. give me andre drummond what are, what are you looking His for free throw attempt rate did improve slightly over last year um but it is mm-hmm. it is improved a little bit over um 2016 17 was really where um i think he kind of plateaued he was ha- he was hitting about four and a half attempts a game he's up above five now mm-hmm. um shooting basically 60% over the last two years. That's a big deal for him. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the hack rules changed a little bit uh, 
in 15 16 he was at seven a game and that's like i think that's basically all that one rockets game where he shot 36 of them or something like that <laughs> but that, that was definitely the spike of but, that year. i mean it's it's noticeable that uh his free throw shooting is now i it's not like amazing but it's not mm-hmm. dragging you back by the hair anymore um he's mm-hmm. uh his, he's got relatively okay turnover numbers at, at two a game. I'd like to see him improve that a little bit because he does some sloppy stuff every now and then. But still, yeah. he I, I don't have his touch numbers up, but he's touching the, the ball more than anyone except for Blake and maybe Reggie. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's been very efficient when it comes to the turnovers and the assists and, and just generally handling the ball. And that's a real positive Um and then the the big story mm-hmm. from last year was his uh, his free throw percentage in the clutch. He was fourteen of fifteen yeah. uh, in close games uh, in the last five minutes. Ninety three percent. That's huge. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a huge number, especially when teams you know late in the games you want to have Andre on the floor. And it shows that teams can't just necessarily go and foul him and get the ball back automatically. Exactly. Shot fifty percent from three in the clutch too. Don't I mean two attempts, but. Yeah don't don't you know don't knock it you know which one i'm talking about right oh yeah, oh, yeah that's the turn around against back, the timberwolves turn around against the timberwolves i remember that <laughs> when he became james arden for like five um, seconds yeah we we look at uh some things like uh his plus minus overall was about uh plus 2.8 on the court uh it was just it averaged out to about plus 2.2 and his clutch plus mm-hmm. minus he was plus two you know, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah. you can't play Andre Drummond, you know, at the end of games. And, you know, he's not a modern <laughs> center. That's bullshit. That's yeah. wildly yeah. wrong. That's damn why. Um, the free throw percentage thing kind of obscures the fact that having a guy who just absolutely secures you possessions with his rebounding and who can defend five mm-hmm. spots on the floor and is incredibly switchable. Like Andre Drummond is a guy who can play in the modern NBA. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, we yep. need a stretch five who plays with Blake and is modern. And that's it's all nonsense. Andre can do mm-hmm. all the stuff that like when when people talk about going small, you know, and they're like, oh, we, you got to play with pace. It makes you more switchable. Yada, yada. Like Andre can do all of that while also giving you 15 rebounds, which is one of the yeah. reasons. The thing I like with Andre in those in those small lineups is, you know. You can put Andre down low, and especially on the def- defensive end, you know he's going to get that rebound. He does it better than anyone else in the league. So, yeah, you can go small around him, but having that big guy stationed down low is right. great. And it kind of, I guess, harkens back to the Dwight Howard stuff and why we thought Stan was going to do such a better job here. But that's a whole nother well, story. Well, but that's there. like the Pistons have done really well against the Warriors the last couple of years because uh-huh. Andre secures every board. And when Steph Curry tries to isolate him, he can hedge out and do a lot of activity on even guys like Steph Curry. Like, that's really impressive. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons yeah. why he's a way better defensive option than people give him credit for. And, uh, yeah, just just... Yeah, I, I love him against the Warriors and the Celtics. Those are the two teams where, no matter how good they were playing, I know always going into those games, they had no, they had nothing yeah, for Andre. And this year, I'm sure he is licking his chops. Ian's Cantor is the starting center on the well, Celtics. Yeah, I mean, Cantor will give him a little bit of issues because Cantor's a good rebounder by himself. When he was going up against Al Horford at yeah. the five, it was, I mean, that's barbecue chicken for, for him. But yeah, it, it will be a little that's disappointing now that uh, Horford and Embiid have teamed up on the 
the uh, the Sixers. Mm, yeah, they're going to give Andre a lot of problems there. Embiid already is a load, but uh, with mm. with Horford around boxing out and just generally being Al Horford, that's a pain in the butt. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a weird combo, and I'm intrigued to see what happens with that in the year. Let's see what else statistically stands out. So there was. I, I had my theory uh, last year that Andre was kind of the MVP for the Pistons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about, obviously, Blake Griffin is the other the other obvious candidate. And when we look at the, yeah. the on-off numbers for the, the Pistons, so how good the team is when a player's on the floor, how good they are when they're off the floor, what the difference is, the Pistons are 2.8 points per possession better when he's on the floor than their opponent. So they, they, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're winning by three points per possession when he's on the floor or three points per hundred, excuse me. Yeah. Blake was at 0.4, you know, so basically even when Blake was in there, they were treading water. And that's just, you know, part of that's just because like teams are good and he's a starter and he's playing as starters. But the, the big number here is that when you took everyone off the floor, how, how bad was it? The team was nine and a half points worse uh, over 100 possessions when you took Andre Drummond off the floor versus two and a half mm-hmm. or 2.2 points when you took Blake Griffin off. Andre's numbers yeah. is monumental. The only person who comes close is Wayne Ellington and Ish Smith of all people. Like <laughs> it's, it's just the, the difference between having a competent starting center who does all the great things Andre does versus literally anyone else is massive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. To be devil's advocate, do you think some of that plays into us not having a, a solid backup center, I'd say, to say the least? Sure. But the question is, what level of quality for backup center do you need before, like, how much do you have to invest in that backup position in order for it to be relevant? Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, we didn't have an amazing backup power forward last year. No. But <laughs> quite. but having, you know, we, we don't have a good defensive team. And yet we were 11th in defense because Andre Drummond is incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, you know, like, would that number be, be less impressive if we had someone like Ed Davis as a backup who's just a really competent all-around guy? Probably. But are you going to, are you willing to pay whatever Ed Davis is making now, like 15 million a year? to back that up you know it's it's it might be worth it but it's also a major investment mm-hmm. yeah in the center position i think it's worth that much investment so so just year. uh kind of when you talk about what the definition of an mvp is right most valuable player that word valuable it's like how much you know what what's the value it takes to cover them is a good indicator of you know how valuable a player is to a team not not their monetary market value but how impactful they are to a team if you got to pay you know a whole bunch of money just to get a backup that can keep you you know level and treading water when the the main guys off the floor they're probably a pretty valuable piece mm-hmm. yep so in, in talking about value i think i'm gonna move it on here and get into what i think is gonna be the biggest uh for better or worse the biggest thing going around about the Pistons this offseason, which is going to be Andre Drummond's uh, upcoming free agency. And now he does have, of course, a player option for the next year. 
I don't think anyone was really going to expect him to take that. Uh, specifically, he had some comments this summer where a reporter asked him, you know, you got a lot of years left, you're young. Um, and then he responds, I'm a free agent next summer. And the reporter asked him, are you looking forward to that? And he said, it should be fun. Uh, I think I'm the only big contract coming up for the year. Which is true. He's going to be, in my estimation, the biggest free agent on the market. It's like him and DeMar DeRozan. So a lot of people are waiting for next year. So this should be his time to get some money. Um, later on, he went back and said, you know, for those who are confused by my comment about free agency, let me break it down. My point was I'm excited to go through the process because I've never been through it. Doesn't mean I'm trying to leave Detroit. I love it here. Which is something we've seen from both him and Blake about how much they enjoy being here. I think it's going to be the first chance for us to see, for us to kind of test that <laughs> and see when he's a very a hot commodity um, and see how much he really wants to stay. And I don't think he'll take any necessarily hometown discounts, uh, but make sure that he's, he stays in this team as opposed to going maybe a team that has more potential for winning. Um, so based kind of on those comments and what do you, what we think, what do we think that Andre is going to be looking for coming in this offseason? Do you think he's going to be staying with the team he knows? Do you think he's going to be trying something new? Do you expect to see Andre Drummond in a Pistons uniform pass this year? Uh, I do. Um, I, I've talked about this before, but there's there's a couple of factors when it comes to Andre being a free agent and and how scary that is. The first thing I think when he heard that reporter say, you've got a lot of years left and you're a young guy and he goes, I'm a free agent next summer. I think what he was basically saying is I don't have that many years left on my contract. You know, I think the reporter was saying you have a lot of years left as in you've got eight more years in the league before you're out. And I think Andre was heard it and interpreted as I have one more year and then I got to, you know, I got to make some decisions. So I think, I think that was Mm -hmm. misinterpreted a little bit publicly understandably i mean it's it's a strange quote that said uh <laughs> you know when you look around the league you're like who's gonna pay him right who who yeah. wants a center that does what he does and is willing to pay 30 plus million dollars for him and you can't find that person like it's really hard and there you know we always say oh there's you know someone's gonna say i want to make a splash i'm gonna pay someone is andre that splashy like <laughs> I love him. I I think he's really valuable. I think he's got a lot of, of, of important things. I think he's worth a lot of money. But is he mm-hmm. the kind of guy where some team who's like is I don't I don't even know who's got money next year, where they're where their GM is you know, they're bad and their GM's like, you know what? Paying Andre Drummond forty million dollars is what's gonna make this team look good. Like I don't that's going to save his job. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see, see that narrative there. So the question becomes, who's going to pay him because they think they need him? Well, I don't, I don't know who that is either. Because mm-hmm. there's just there's a lot of centers. There's a lot of roster congestion. There's not a lot of money. And people are going to want to mm-hmm. hold their powder you know, for the next year's free agency. So I don't think there's a massive risk. Um, you know, I think he, he'll test free agency. He'll probably decline the contract. And I think he'll end up back in Detroit on a similar contract. And if he leaves, it'll be because he doesn't want to be in Detroit anymore. But I think basically mm-hmm. everyone who's I know who's talked to him and everything he's ever said publicly, you know, he's not trying to run away from Detroit. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see. It's going to be a little nervy, I guess, for the year. But uh, I, I don't think... You know, this isn't like Kawhi, you know, trying to run to the Lakers kind of a thing. 
it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see, uh, particularly, what his opinion is on it because I feel like it's not going to be a situation where he can say the you know, the Pistons haven't tried to build around him. They've brought in a lot of talent this off season, and I think we have a pretty decent team going into the year. So I think I'm just curious to see if what what kind of reasons and what kind of outs he can think of. If we're going to be a team that you know isn't successful and has a bad year, it's possible. I think that could definitely play a part in it. But based on kind of what I've seen about Andre, he's not the kind of person that's you know dying to go to like a a winning team. He he seems a little bit driven by money, but not that he's going to go for the highest offer necessarily. It's... I think he just wants to go where he feels comfortable, and I feel like at this point he feels comfortable in Detroit. And I'd be curious to see if. That holds true in next. Would it season. be surprising to you? Because my this this would be how I would do it. Would it be surprising to you if he took less than the full max years? If he did a two plus one or a three plus one, you know, and, and tried to play out Blake's time here, but wanted to get out for like one last run while he was, you know, before he was thirty eight, you know. Well, I want to preface this by saying that in today's NBA free agency, nothing will surprise me. <laughs> Um, but no, I would, I would honestly not be surprised at all if he did that. I could see him potentially, he seems like somebody who's friends with a lot of people around the league. So maybe he tries to time it with someone else, not necessarily when Blake's contract is up, but when someone else's contract is up and they can go somewhere together. So I wouldn't be too surprised by that. Um, I would just, the only thing that would make me hesitant is if he wants to do like a one plus one. If he's doing a one plus one, that wouldn't make sense to me. That's, that's like, I'm trying to run away here. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure yeah. about that. Um, and while I think we, if he does want a one plus one, I think you know we should offer him that. And if that's the only thing he'll take, we should agree to it and maybe make sure there's a no trade clause and try and get rid of him. Well, that's. Offseason. I mean, that's the. Uh, if he takes a one plus one, the nice thing is if he wants money, you can give him money because it's not gonna hurt you down the road. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, yeah, that that would be weird. Yeah. But I, I'm I if I, if I were him, I'd be looking at this being like, you know what, Blake's got two more years left. You know, if I do a, a three plus one, you know, and I can get back on the market when I'm, I don't even know how old Andre is at this point. He's gonna be twenty six, I think, at the beginning of the season. So you know, if if he's if he's saying I want to be back on the market when I'm twenty nine thirty, you know, with another chance to go someplace to win a title before I'm done, that would make sense to me if he doesn't want to commit for a full five years. Um. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yep. Be curious to see about that. Um, moving on to the rest of our rotation here, we're going to move on to another player that was on the team last year, um, from the Big Wins, which is going to be the notorious Thon Makur. Makur. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Thon. 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 So we had about what a third of the season with Thon last year. Yeah. And. Uh, to say the least, I don't think he incredibly impressed nope. in Detroit. Um, with us last season, he scored five and a half points a game, got a shade under four rebounds, nothing defensively, one assist. He shot not great from three at 31%, not great from the field at 37%. I think, I know I speak for both of us when I say we're not incredibly enthused about the prospect of more Thon Maker next season. Um, that being said, I'm going to make you play devil's advocate and tell me what you like about Thon Maker. Oh, um, <laughs> so 
sounds like he's a good kid. I mean, that's that's a big thing. It sounds like he's fun in the locker room. Um, Seems like he's a good guy. I mean, the big advantage to Thon is that there's a lot of effort and a lot of potential is is weird because he hasn't changed at all since he entered the league. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but but it is like it's really hard to build him like Thon Maker. Just athletically, he's got he's got all the length. And it feels like if you could just figure out how to keep him doing only the things he's good at, which is blocking shots and waving those wild arms around and shooting corner threes, <laughs> you know, maybe you could get a player out of him. Uh, it's really hard. I Like, you know, I'm a big Stanley Johnson guy. Um, and I, I had nice. a lot of arguments when stanley was here about how we should use stanley johnson and what his strengths and weaknesses were and i felt forever like stanley should be handling the ball more but also stanley should have played as like a a screen and roll forward kind of a thing like um kind of in a draymond role if that makes sense because i thought Mm. that would make use of his skill set i don't know what that is for thon maker i don't know what the equivalent (laughs) You know, I don't I don't know what you plug him into. I don't know what role he plays where he's just amazingly successful. So I think with Thon, you just have to hope that player development happens and you know he he becomes mm-hmm. something, but he's had some issues when it comes to he's you know, his weight is still really, really low for what it needs to be. He's really struggled just holding onto the ball. He's got very poor hands, you know, and he's gonna be asked to play mm-hmm. a lot of center. And it's just yeah. you know, how do you compensate for that? It's it's hard. Yeah. So let's let's talk briefly about um, him playing center because as we move further and further into the offseason, it looks like that's a reality we're going to have to to deal with. Is him playing some backup center minutes? I know we don't feel great about it, but we feel very bad about it. But is there any way you think that? he can improve in the offseason and bring something that will make him a average NBA center, especially in a league where, you know, centers moving further and further away from the paint and away from the area where his uh, small frame kind of goes against him. I don't think so. Not really. I mean, the, the answer is he puts on weight and we haven't seen him do it. Yeah. So if he, if he can't hold up, I mean, I think his, his biggest viability on defense is playing the four, and just trying to lurk around for weak side blocks. You know, if, if you play mm-hmm. him and uh, Mark Keith Morris together, is that, uh, it? Is he, um, is, is, is Mark Keith able to stall people in the post long enough for him to come over and make a block? You know, can, can he lurk in the corners and, you know, make plays from there? To me, that's where he's got some viability. I, I just don't see it from a playing a five roaming the paint in the way Andre does. You just, he needs so much more discipline and, and more weight to handle those bodies. Yeah. It's something where my hope, if we do end up going with this, which there's still a chance we could swerve away from this is that early in the season, Casey realizes how much of a disaster this is going to be. And maybe he gets sent somewhere else. Cause I think, the way I think about Thon, he's still, you know, somehow 22 years old, and he's got stuff he can't teach. He's seven one, and he can move. So my hope is that some other team sees those and recognizes that, 
and is willing to take him on for the year that you he's dangle still here. him in front of like Charlotte or something and be like, look at him, he's tall. Yep, just re-gift him to some other poor. I bet the magic want him. The magic oh. want all the tall, skinny boys. Oh, the magic would isn't, love isn't him. Isn't he a, uh, he a Hammond in. guy? I, I think I think Cam was there. I think Hammond drafted him back in the yeah, day. Yeah, so Milwaukee. you just be like, hey, Orlando, you want a uh, tall, skinny boy? Hey, remember this guy? I bet you want a tall, skinny boy. <laughs> Put it with the other ones. So I think that's the hope. And then kind of as we talk, I think he is very available. <laughs> and I, I, I hope that he will be moved once we realize that this ain't going to work out. Like I said, I think of him as a second round pick. I think of him as someone who's a very much a project, but he's got things I could see at some point being successful in the league. But I don't think he's going to ever be a five. I think he's going to be the very tall four. And I don't think he's ever going to have anything in the post. I think he's, for him to succeed in this league, he needs to just become just a solid three-point shooter. His, cor- his corner three-point kinda... shot is where it's supposed to be at. And the problem was last year, for whatever reason, he was taking his threes above the break. And it didn't make a lot of sense. But they have to find ways to mm-hmm. get him in the corner, which is harder to do when he's the five. If he's the five, you need him setting screens and picking and popping. You need him in the middle four. So when he's the four, yeah. you can stick him in the corner a little more. But it's just that's that's his one place of viability on offense is, is as a corner shooter. So you got to keep him in the corner somehow. Is it going to? You think we could keep him in the corner if we have him playing with Blake, and Blake is the one setting the screens in the middle of the floor? Maybe, but Blake hasn't been rolling since he got to Detroit, yeah. so... <laughs> he doesn't uh, roll. He, you, he stays. You know, <laughs> the idea is you he rolls into the middle of the floor, and you suck a, you know, a defender off of the corner, and you create an open shot, and that's been an issue with Blake in, in Detroit. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. definitely it's definitely one and of then, the big puzzles Casey's gonna have to figure out with this roster. Yep. Yep. And then to touch on him last, this is the last year of his uh, rookie contract. He's gonna get paid three and a half million. Um since he was a first round pick, we do have the he's going to be a restricted free agent next year. So maybe you know a team wants to bring him in and they trade for him then. Who knows? I really hope some idiot gives him like, the poison pill contract for no reason. <laughs> Make me laugh so hard. Detroit says, Yep. <laughs> Send him on his way. Yeah. We care. Oh, oh no, we don't I'd... want you to take him. You're gonna have to pay him don't like do five that. more than we are. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. This is I don't know. I, I'm I'm very curious to see what Thon's career could be. And I think down the road we could be wrong and anybody could he's someone that I could see developing just a three point shot and being all of a sudden the seven one crazy person on that offensive end who can shoot threes in the other. But I don't think that's a a highly expected outcome. It's just something that I'm sure will happen because that always happens to the Pistons. That where we lose just turns into the best version of themselves. Um, but moving on to someone I think we're a little bit more excited on is the former Washington Wizard, uh, Markeith Morris. I guess OKC. Went to OKC yeah. for that. Chief Keith. Um, so last... Yep, my boy Keith. So last year he finished um, averaging around 10 points a game. He was 11.5 with the Wizards, 6.5 uh, with the uh, Thunder, he was shooting pretty well with the Wizards, not so much with the Thunder. He shot, um, let's see, about even about 33%, no matter where he was at last year. Um, but he had he was shooting a lot better, um, 47% from the field as opposed to 39% with the Wizards before moving to the Thunder. 
So he was shooting a lot better with the Wizards. He probably had the ball in his hand a lot more um, there. But what do we think is going to be ending up with Marquise? Where do we think he's going to be playing? What do we think he's going to be doing? Sounds like he's going to play a lot of the five. Um, That's... He's he's played it a little bit in the past, you know, like when you look at his basketball reference positional chart thing, which is purely driven by lineup data. It's not uh, nobody's like out there double checking it, but all of his minutes have been at the four or the five in his career. And it's trended a little more towards the five since he joined Washington. Um, His stats are a little funky because he was injured last year and he didn't come back well. And there's if you look at the year prior, mm-hmm. like everything dropped off for him he went from shooting mm-hmm. uh about 37 percent from three to shooting about 34 percent f- shooting 48 percent from the field overall the shooting 44 percent um his free throw percentage dropped four percent so when you just look at that you have to ask yourself is is he healthier now or is he the guy he was in okc because if we get healthy Mark Keith Morris, that's that's good. Like he's a valuable a player. If we don't, then you know, then it's it's going to be a worry, and he, he might not even be worth the contract, which is harsh. But you know, we we Damn. need him to be healthy. We need him to be able to take a load because he's going to be playing backup five, and he's going to be ta- you know taking a physical beating. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's the, if there's any guy on the roster where I'm really interested when we hit preseason, just to see what the heck is going on, it's going to be Markeith Morris. Just, you know, does mm-hmm. he look like he's, he's a hundred percent or does he look like he's 60%? Cause uh, it changes a lot about this team. Yeah. I think he's going to have a larger role than we would like. Specifically with this big man group, power forward and center. Um, when he was in Washington, he was always a steady player. He was never a great starter. He was usually your fourth or fifth best starter. But I think if he's healthy, he does have the potential to play a good role off the bench. we got to remember, he's also not his brother. He's not going to play any nope. small forward. He's going to be playing specifically that power forward, and it sounds like some center this he's year. He's basically so. never played the three in his career, so just he's not going to be yep. there. Uh, that would look a lot like the Josh Smith experiment. You don't want that. Oh God, don't. Nope. Let's put money in the put a dollar <laughs> in the swear jar for that one. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, so in terms of trade status, so he's not available at all to start. He I don't believe can be traded until what like December fifteenth or something Sounds like that. Sounds right. Um, so he's definitely not going to be traded. We say that at least to start. Um. I can't foresee him being moved for anyone nope. either, even when he is available to be traded, because he's going to play such an important role. And at that salary point, I don't foresee us finding anyone else there. The only time I can think of is if he's some you know salary filler in a trade when he's been less than impressive for us, um, kind of in the role that Glenn Robinson was last year. So in terms of that, I think he's going to stay here for at least this first year. Um, with this contract, he does have a two-year deal the first year at $3.2 million, estimated, uh, $3.36 for the next year. The second year is a player option, so he will have the option uh, to leave. So I think it's going to be something where either he plays he plays well and he decides to turn that down, or he plays bad and he stays here. So 
in that sense, I still see, if I had to project him out, I, I still see him playing through that contract and likely leaving. I, I think he's going to be more of a player than what he's getting paid for that. And especially with next year's offseason, there's not going to be a whole lot of money going around, but a lot of teams may be spending those mid-level exceptions, and he slides into one of those and gets a little bit more money. Um, yeah, I, I expect him to probably play both years and take both of them to try and get as healthy and prove himself as much as possible to get one last payday before he's done. Because if he can't earn that payday by that second year, then he's got a problem, and we've got a problem too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, any last things you want to touch on with Markeith and how you think oh, I think we're good. In? Yep. All right, so moving on to the last person in our big man rotation, um, for now at least, which is going to be Christian Wood. So right now he's on an unguaranteed contract. Last year he kind of bounced around a little bit, played on the Bucks before getting, I believe, traded to the Pelicans, um, where he kind of lit it up down the stretch with them in the last couple of games of the year. So... I think when we had traded for him in the offseason, a lot of people were very intrigued, us included, um, and thinking that he could play you know, a little bit of a role, whether it be at the center or maybe a little bit the power forward. Um, some minutes there before we, of course, signed Marquise and moved him down from the center primarily. So I, I know we're both in the same boat, and we really do like Christian Wood, especially his potential. But from the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like he's necessarily going to be the shoe-in to make the roster. So what do you think he can do to show himself in training camp that will kind of keep him on the on the pistons and keep him with a role on the so team? So he has the same issue that Thon does where he's underweight for his position. Um mm-hmm. I think almost to the same extreme that Thon is. He's a lot bouncier and a lot more aggressive and physical than Thon has ever been. Um just not necessarily he's more gifted athletically. I don't know if that's the case, but he is just emotionally plays like that. Um I think the big thing for him is if he can prove that his three-point shooting is a thing, if he can shoot 35%, that's going to be a big deal for him. Um, mm-hmm. He's like he's one of those guys who's like a summer league hero. Like he just He's in every summer league, and he does really well, and everyone's very impressed all the time. Um, he's just got mm-hmm. to translate it. And if he translates it successfully, he'll, he should make the team. And yet all the indications we're hearing out of – training camp is that joe johnson's got that spot so unless langston galloway or someone else you know one of the low-hanging fruits oh, gets please. traded i i don't know how christian would takes that i mean when they put joe johnson on the podium for media day it was like oh it's over there's no hope yeah so mm-hmm. i like christian wood i'd like him to be on the roster you know um he's pretty similar to eric moreland kind of um and I liked what Eric Moreland did for us. And if he were that guy as the third center option, I'd be pretty happy with it. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. what's he doing preseason? Can he prove himself? Because I'd like to see him here instead of Joe Johnson. Basically, he's just got to go out and play well, hit his shots. Yeah. Yep. And hope that Ed Stefanski spends the entire training camp on the phone with Hammonds and Orlando to send either Tom or... <laughs> Like Galloway down there. Look, we know pretty, pretty you please. want lanky people. Yep, we got we got a long got lanky, a long, boy, long to send lanky your way. boy here who needs a home. Just play the Sarah McLaughlin yep. music, and <laughs> <laughs> would you adopt we, we one long lanky boy? 
in the arms of an angel. No, no, cutting that, that right, right out. Straight away. Nah, you're going to have to leave it in there. I'm going to make you. Uh, so looking at the rest of him, uh, I don't. He's already been traded once this offseason. I don't particularly see him being traded again. I think more than anything, he's probably just going to be cut and move yep. on. Have that ability to move on to another team. With him, I, I want to say a little bit different. Do you think there's a situation where we could bring him back to like the G League team at all? I know we used it both in the two-way contracts, but do you think it's something where he keep him there? Do you think he stays in the league? Um, I don't know. He hasn't. He hasn't had a stable spot in the league. Um, he's had. No. I think I have his whole career. He's had one, two, three, four, five, yep. four, four total appearances in the league, not counting his stint with Detroit, his potential stint with mm-hmm. Detroit. So. Uh, if that's the case, he's you know he's he's likely to end up back in the G League circuit or overseas. So maybe he ends up in um the drive. That doesn't mean anything because we've been absolutely yeah. shameful in how we've used the drive, and yeah, uh, I have some serious problems with that. But who knows? Maybe he he ends up there. Yeah, at this point, the the biggest hope that I have with Thon, and it pains me to say this, or Thon, excuse me, Christian Wood, the biggest thing that uh, I think I see with him is him making at least a decent enough impression during the training camp that if someone does go down injured, that he's the first person we try and call and bring up onto the team, on whether like a 10-day deal that's or That's definitely a possibility. So that's something I could see, but it uh, depends a lot of what else happens with him. If he doesn't sign on their NBA team, if he goes to the G League or whatnot, so... All in all, I wish we had another Christian W on the team, but I don't foresee him being yeah. there. Just, I just put I that mean, on if, the jersey. If, uh, if they were to say, hey, Lewis King's two way is gone and we want uh, Christian Wood there, like I'd be okay with that because Luke King didn't look good at all in Summer League and didn't impress me at Oregon, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then last on our list of people in the rotation that you put on here is uh, Dante Hall. Um, you put him in here, so <laughs> explain why you well, wanted to talk about him. He's the Alabama kid who's on like a 10-day contract. He played for us in Summer League. A lot of people were happy with him. I didn't love him at Alabama. Yeah. I, he was okay in Summer League. He did some good stuff. He, he'll be in training camp. Maybe he impresses. I mean, that's how um, Eric Moreland made the team a couple years ago, so... Uh, it's a name. We'll we'll see whether or not that name means anything moving forwards. I really hope it doesn't. I he was decent. He was serviceable in summer league, but you need to be better than serviceable in summer league to make the roster. Amen. I feel like. All right. So moving on, we're going to start looking quick through the scheme, particularly with the defensive scheme. So Jake's going to run us through a little bit of that um, for the big men here. So we're going to start with the base defense, which is going to be the drop system. Um, the intention is to kind of force the mid-range shots, prevent the uh, attacks at the rim and three-point shots that have kind of been plaguing against the Pistons, especially those uh, drives to the rim that leave Andre in a difficult position. So we want to kind of run through how it works real quick and what we should be looking for and what's a good sign and a so bad sign. So the basic rule of the drop system is that you go over every screen as a ball defender. So the guard or the wing who's defending the screen goes over which means that they can defend the shot and you force the the ball handler to dribble inside around the screen so you force them to use the screen because they can't cut back because you're there 
and you force them to go either drag it out super far to the side or to go downhill on you. And then they're theoretically running into the dropped defender, which is normally going to be Andre. And the idea is that Andre forces them into shooting a mid-range shot. Now, mm-hmm. there are a couple things when it comes to the system. The first thing is that it works when it comes to its primary focus, which is preventing three-point shots. The Pistons gave up. I think mm-hmm. we were second in the in total. Uh, I have it written here somewhere. Uh, yeah, second best in three-point uh, shots allowed. So, um, mm-hmm. and we gave up the lowest three-point make rate total. So, yeah. um, the that it handled that job. Now the problem is what happens when um, the 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 ball handler is able to isolate your center. 2v1 because your ball defender can't recover after going around the screen because they have to go around the screen and then they have to get back in front of their man the idea is that hopefully andre slows their the the ball handler up to the point where say reggie can get back in front of the point guard and wall off otherwise reggie has to sprint and cover the uh the big man who's going to be rolling to the rim or popping out Mm -hmm. and so you have a problem here where a popping big man just screw you up completely because now Andre, yep. Yep. Uh, his job really is that when the the big man rolls down the lane, he has to split that space so that there isn't a passing lane in between the guard and the big man, and there isn't a lane for the guard to get to the rim. So if he can take away both mm-hmm. those options, the only thing left is for the the mid range shot. Now it's really hard because you have big men who can pop. You have big men who are very fast, who can get in behind, and Andre can't see that. He's got to keep his eye on the ball, so you need a lot of communication. Uh, And the other thing Mm -hmm. is the Pistons do not help, period. They don't help. So there is not going to be a tag who slows the roll man. There's not usually somebody who's going to cut in behind Andre and defend that roll man. So he's got a lot to do, which is one of the reasons why – you know, he gave up, I think it was a 56, 57% field goal percentage at the rim last year. So, so people, uh, when he was the, the closest defender, they scored about 57% against him. That's actually mm-hmm. not bad. That's about middle of the pack. And considering that he's doing basically everything by himself in this system, it's actually kind of impressive. And this is what people do with Gobert. It's what they do with uh, Stephen Adams. It's kind of the popular thing in the NBA right now. Um, yeah. So yeah. So it's it's you're asked basically this system. I've I've said it in the past like this. This system is is intended to funnel everyone into Andre, and then hope that Andre can make a play. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're exposing him to a lot. And I think. It- yeah, I think it's why people um, see a lot of, oh, well, Andre's giving up so many open shots. Well, we're putting him in hard situations. And the only reason that we're doing that is because Andre himself as a player is so versatile defensively, where he can be on that where he's, you know, kind of in that, that 2v1, but he's got these long, quick arms that can sometimes get a steal when the guard is trying to pass to the big men and stuff like that. So um, in terms of when this kind of defense fails, because last season we didn't have a pretty good uh, run of it, particularly from three, but at the same time, they were still getting to the rim easier than probably they should have. In league average, I think we were uh, 24th in total defensive uh, field goal percentage. So what do you think is really causing those problems and causing those breakdowns? 
so you're you're basically you're asking Andre to play a game of of trigonometry, right? He's he's got a, a triangle, um, where he has to he has to wall off the guard and the big man and stay in between them and prevent these passing lanes. So anytime you end up with a big man, like if the big man can pop, suddenly Andre still has to defend the rim and the big man's exposed because there's nobody to cover him and you're going to give up shots that Mm -hmm. way or you have a big man who can threaten the pop and then roll late and and kind of delay the action and all of a sudden the geometry is off again and now andre has to defend um instead of having the big man behind him and the guard in front of him he has them level Mm -hmm. with each other and then he has to give one of them a path to the rim he can't he can't he's not the rim he can't be in between the ball and the rim anymore so there are things like that where this is where the the other defender in the play the guards defender the wings defender whoever's running the pick and roll their defender has to be able to get back into the play as soon as possible and that doesn't always happen and sometimes it's Mm -hmm. just you know it was a good screen and they're behind the play and they got to try and impact the play from behind sometimes it's laziness um, you know, there's there's a noticeable difference between when someone like Bruce Brown is defending the ball handler and is able to fight over the screen, stay in front, slow things down by himself, and when Reggie Jackson or Ish Smith is there and they're playing it from behind a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you are just exposing things to, you know, you're exposing Andre to this stuff, and eventually guards are just going to, you know, they're going to get theirs. And that's mostly what happens is Andre has to focus so much on defending one or the other that you know like if he if he defends the guard maybe the guard gets a good shot there's a rebound andre had to defend the guard so he's not boxing out the big man gets the the putback you know and that goes against Mm -hmm. andre's field goal percentage that you know it makes him look bad but in reality he had to do what he had to do you know and that's that's just what the play is gonna you know that's the consequence that's gonna happen so this this system is hard um you know, and, and it's one of those things where I think Andre does just about as well as he can. Um, that's not to say he's the smartest defender for these situations. Like Gobert is really great at this. Really great. Yeah. Andre's not quite there. Mm-hmm. Now he makes up for it by being really good at creating deflections and with his hands. We talked about this in the Andre section. But when people try and like pocket mm-hmm. pass, you know, past him <laughs> or when they try and lob over him. Like he gobbles that yeah. stuff up. And so he, you know, mm-hmm. he is legitimately um, last year. I thought he was like maybe the fourth or fifth best defensive center in the league. I thought he was really good. And we were the 11th best defense in the NBA, despite having basically one good perimeter defender in Bruce Brown and half a season of Stanley Johnson. Uh, we were still really mm-hmm. good on defense, mostly because Andre Drummond was able to do that much. So, um, you know, and there's and there's always stuff where if you know alpha pick and roll, you're gonna have um, motion, and once you get to that secondary motion, the hope is that our perimeter defenders stayed home, and they're able to handle their own business until Andre can get reset for whatever the next action is. But that's not always the mm-hmm. case. You know, if, if it gets passed to the corner and the corner guy burns his defender, Andre's already out of position because he was defending something else, and now he can't defend the rim. That kind of thing. So. Um, you know, it's really reliant on Andre being on the balls of his feet the whole time, making great decisions the whole time. And uh, 
you know, that's not possible. So you're going to end up yeah. with, with attacks on the rim. And, and if somebody can shoot well from the mid range, you know, that's what we're <laughs> trying to give them. So if you end up with someone like a Damian Lillard or a CJ McCollum, who's like really good at that stuff, you're, you know, you're playing into their hand a bit and you're going to have to live with that. Yeah. So do you think this is the best system that we can use with Andre? Is it, there's a lot that's in his hands and while I think he does do an amazing job with it, I think there's some, some tweaks maybe that we could do to make it a little bit easier for him or kind of give him a, a little bit more of a, I guess, advantage to play to our personnel. I think that Dwayne Casey's done a really good job of getting him ready in this system because Stan Van Gundy tried this and it didn't work for him. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne Casey came in, and to his credit, uh, Andres looked a lot more comfortable here. Um, yeah. So as a base defense, I think this is pretty good. We don't have the talent. Um, now we do have a little more talent. Tony Snell is a better perimeter defender. Markeith Morris, actually, if he's healthy, comes in, gives you a little more spunk mm-hmm. in certain areas. Um, but like you're still, like when people run a 1-5 pick and roll, you've got Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose. Like, good luck. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I do think this, like as a base defense is fine. Um, it's not exciting, but it, it does what it's supposed to. I do, I do hope we throw more curveballs uh, at different teams and kind of switch it up a little bit more in games just to keep people on their toes a little more. Cause once you get used to this, this, this system, and once you read it a little bit, it is pretty easy to figure out how you want to break it down. Mm-hmm. All right, so to kind of move on to the other side of the floor on the offensive end, uh, last year I felt like we had a very kind of half-and-half half season um, on the offensive end where we started out the year with a little bit of a more kind of run plays, run set plays, that kind of stuff, um, and it wasn't doing too successful. And about halfway through the year when Andre came back from that uh, concussion, we kind of started, we, we, we did a lot more pick and roll. We went to and played a little bit more of Reggie and Andre's strengths. Is that something we're projecting to see more this year? Or do you think Casey's going to install more uh, play-driven offense and more set pieces? Um, I, th- I think that one of the things that's kind of been hinted at in the Blake Griffin like resting conversation is that mm-hmm. the load management might just need to be the in-game stuff like, like this, like giving a little bit more of the responsibility to the other players on the floor because that was for the first two months last year, it was literally just Blake, do everything, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we did shift a little bit last year from going towards, uh, you know, whenever we ran pick and rolls, it was running like one, four pick and rolls. We'd run it on the left side of the, or the right side of the floor. And Blake would drift to the left side of the three point arc. And then he'd do an isolation against somebody, you know, we were just running the pick and roll to get a mismatch that Blake could isolate. And then after that kind of mm-hmm. January, uh, January mark, it was, let's run a 1-5, let's get to the rim, let's get some motion off of it. And it definitely opened things up. It got Reggie more involved. Um, it got Andre significantly more involved. And the question will be now, how do you bridge the gap? You know, um, one of the things we still do not see often enough, as far as I'm concerned, is the 4-5 pick and rolls, where both Blake yes, and Andre are trying to get downhill, are trying to play aggressively. Um you know, how, how do we get Blake mm-hmm. moving towards the rim and Andre moving towards the rim? Um, you know, because Andre's field goal percentage to start last year was really terrible. And he got a lot of flack for mm-hmm. it. And a lot of it was just he was taking floaters and hooks 
you know, from, from eight feet out, you know, he wasn't getting lobs at the rim and stuff. And it's like, that shouldn't be happening. That's not good offense. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it's not good offense. So why are we running it? You know, what's, what's, and it was mostly because he was getting, he would run a pick and roll. Somebody else was isolating. They needed a bailout. They were throwing the ball to him late into the post. And then he had to go do something. And then after mm-hmm. that offensive shift, it was Andre's rolling to the rim. Let's get him a lob. Andre's rolling to the rim. Let's get him a touch, you know, two feet away. Yeah. And that's important. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's especially true for someone like Drummond where if he gets those easy baskets like that, it, it might get him going and really start uh, being a big thing for offense and makes it a lot easier for the rest of the guys around him when Andre's just being a menace. I mean, the low. thing is you don't have to run a play for so, Andre. He doesn't. He doesn't yeah. need touches. He doesn't need post touches. Stan Van Gundy, you know, said he doesn't complain about, you know, getting touches. No. He knows he's going to get the ball because he's going to rebound it and he's going to do all that work. So all you need to do with Andre mm-hmm. is make sure that the spaces he's occupying are the right ones. Make sure that he's setting hard screens, rolling hard to the rim, that he's getting deep into the paint, so that when he gets a rebound, it's close to the rim and he can put it back etc and so just prioritizing his movement within all these actions is is maybe the most important thing in developing this offense further mm-hmm. yeah definitely all right i just went i completely lost my point <laughs> there so is there any other things you want to touch on with the offense i'm um, looking at this year any excitement especially i'm kind of intrigued for the dribble handoff between uh you know, Blake and Tony Snell trying to see, because from what I've seen, and I know take this with <laughs> grain of salt, but uh, Snell's looked really kind of knocked down from three so far this offseason, what I've seen with those summer workouts and stuff like that. So I'd be curious to see uh, with a person who draws the gravity of a Blake Griffin, if all of a sudden he's sitting in the corner and getting these wide open uh, pick and pop or dribble handoff threes in the way that Reggie Bullock was doing last year. He doesn't seem like that kind of player, but it's because well, he's they, he's not quite as much of the you know give you the shake and the shimmy and play two man game kind of guy. You know, he's more of just a catch and shoot player. But it is one of those things mm-hmm. where we struggled a bit last year having somebody sitting in the corner just hitting threes. You know, it was yeah. Ellington or Bullock, and then no one else, and we mm-hmm. lost Ellington and Bullock. So we got to figure out you know how to replace them. But to have a you know a guy at small forward who's got the size to play defense and who can just shoot a three reliably, that is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of those things where ideally your offense is you know playing through your guard and Andre and Blake and some combination of them screening for each other and then having that catch and shoot option when you eventually create a mismatch that draws a double. And so having someone like Snell mm-hmm. in there is great for that. Um, you know, the, the question will be, do they run more the the post-up offense, in which case you need to have Snell being able to move into spaces to catch and shoot? Um, you know, think you think about how um, those plays where Blake Griffin's posted up and he's kind of trading passes back and forth with somebody on the wing to try and create a, sh- a shot. Um you know, within that kind of offense, where does Snell fit? Because it's very obvious where he fits in the pick and roll game. Um, I don't see him doing the DHO stuff as much. I think that's mostly going to be with the guards. And I think we'll see the DHO stuff more in the second unit to give Derrick Rose mm-hmm. a uh, 
kind of a, a sprint to the rim or to give Luke his yeah. his kind of space to create in. Yeah, give Rose the ball when he's already kind of moving along. Exactly, kind of a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, I would like to see it now. <laughs> Hopefully, it's when Blake's out there working with the second unit. And it's not running through Thon because <laughs> dribble handoff. I don't see working too well. Well, the question is, can Morris run that? You know, I <laughs> dribble handoff with the Morris board. has that in him. Yeah, I, th- I think he. I think, I he, think might, he can. But you know, can Morris run some pick and pops with the second unit? You know, Luke, can he? Can he be the guy where Luke Kennard comes in? You know, Luke likes to to run like a DHO and then switch back and, and reverse. You know, can Morris screen for him two three times and then pop maybe? You know, and give in. I could. So, uh, I think Morris is definitely athletic enough and a good enough shooter that he could keep the defense honest with it. So, I, I think I could see that, but it all depends on their chemistry together. We won't be able to see that until, you know, the season exactly. started. So, something to look forward to, I guess, in training camp. So, lastly, we're going to close out the podcast today talking over the rotations. Um, so, to start with, we're going to start at center, which should be the more intriguing of the two spots. Um, so we know Andre, you put him in here for 35 minutes. I don't know if he's quite going to get that. He'll probably get the 33, maybe 34, uh, minutes. So that's going to leave on average, what, like 15 minutes a game sure. for a non Andre player to be playing there. And I think we should do this with two scenarios. One is Christian Wood makes the roster, whether it be some kind of a trade or, you know, we just keep him over Joe Johnson, which I think would be unforeseen at this point. Um, and then two, of course, with Christian Wood gone. Because I think he'll be the, one of the ones that slots into that center spot. So with Christian Wood still on the team, do we expect to see him at all in this? Or do we think it's going to be more um, still relying on Thon and Markeef at the at the five? I think personally it doesn't matter. The, the base rotation, I think, wouldn't include Wood either way. I think if he's on the team, yeah. he's the somebody's in foul trouble and we need filler minutes guy. Um, mm-hmm. I expect to see a little bit of Blake at the five. I hate that personally, but <laughs> I expect to see Blake um, kind of cover five, six minutes maybe in like the second quarter during that first rotation probably when he's got a little more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I expect to see Blake do that. And then I think we're going to see a lot of Markeith at center probably um, when, when Markeith's in there, that'll probably be like the third, quarter minutes or the late second quarter minutes um you know the doldrum minutes and then you'll have thon at the four and they'll be, you know screw around with that um yeah i see i'd actually be curious to see if we see any blake at center because i know a lot last year uh one of our annoyances with Dwayne casey was that he kept playing the starters all together he wasn't really you know flexing their minutes out throughout the floor so i think if we do see some blake at center i mean even if he's a nominal center with playing with someone like Marquis for Thon, they kind of rotate between the two positions. I think I would be actually happy about that because it's just a, a step forward in the right direction of kind of balancing the rotation and not, you know, relying on just the five starters altogether for the starters at a time and trying to rotate the bench in through around. So them. last so, year it was, it was largely Andre was the holdover guy. So when it was picking a, a mm-hmm. starter to, yeah. to stay over with the bench, it was Andre. I think that's going to be the same. And so the question will be, you know, in the minutes he's sitting, are they pure bench minutes where it's Markeef and Thon or, or Wood? Or is it, mm-hmm. you know, does Blake come on in those minutes? And, and how does that work? And, you know, what does an offense without 
Andre look like for Blake? Because if he's at center, he's got to play a little differently on both ends. Yeah. And I don't like it. So um, <laughs> I just, I don't like it when he doesn't have a pick and roll partner to play with. And if Blake's the only guy out there with Markeef, like I don't see that as a pick and roll partnership. I don't see him and Thon as a great pick and roll partnership. Um, yeah. You know, so he, he takes a backseat, I think, as a ball handler in that scenario when he plays without Andre. So if Blake's the solo five, that's a little weird. So I kind of expect to see a little more, I think, of, of Markeith and then plus one at center. Do you think there's any opportunity for like a super small ball lineup where we have Blake at the five and I don't even know who at the four anymore. I would say Seku, but obviously he's a long way from being there, but. Um, maybe like a like a Bruce Brown, or maybe like a, I think if we saw like a I think I, I think there was what I call the I call it the run all day lineup last year when it was like Stanley Johnson and Ish Smith and Bruce Brown, and mm-hmm. I think Zaza was like the odd man out, so it was just like four guys yeah. who were just going crazy, and then Zaza would like jog up the the court behind them. Um, <laughs> so th- there's maybe potential for that kind of thing where maybe you give Seku some minutes along with um, Bruce and. Um, probably Derek Rose at that point, and then I don't know who else. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's Thon, maybe it's you know, and then so at that point you're just trying to have some length and some chaos and some speed on the floor, and Blake kind of plays as a big body rebounder who can run the floor a little bit himself. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess maybe that's a possibility. I don't. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, when we when we get to our um our uh, preseason games, obviously you're going to see a lot of random bench lineups and benchmates and i think we'll see a little bit how much dwayne casey trusts certain people at the five yep yeah i think in the end i'll be all with the rotation we're really not going to know until we start seeing a couple of these lineups thrown out there on the preseason and then later into the beginning of the regular season we'll get we'll get a, an idea of what kind of bench units we're going to see together and kind of get a chance to see how it works because there's a lot of new pieces especially in the big lineup here um that haven't played together and we'll have to see who has good chemistry who works well together and I'm kind of curious to see and excited to uh, see who's going to be coming off the bench at the four and especially at the five um, into this next season. I will say this is definitely the place where if the Pistons make a trade mid-season, this is what they're going to be trading for because this mm-hmm. is just a gigantic yeah. hole in the roster and we can talk. I mean, we, we, we haven't like hammered it quite as hard as maybe as we should because we're trying to talk about the players and I think both of us are generally positive people, but like, this is a mess yeah. that should not honestly yeah. be here. So, uh, yeah, it, I mean, this is a very concerning rotation to have. Yeah. When, even knowing that, you know, Blake and Andre, they're going to take up 33 plus minutes a game. I for those remaining 30 or so minutes, I wish we had something a little bit more fleshed out. And I think it, a lot of it depends on how healthy and how good Marquise Morris comes into the year at. And if he comes in and is able to be like 95% of what he was in Washington and, and Phoenix, then I think we'll be fine. And I think he'll kind of figure itself out because he'll play, you know, probably 20 to 25 of those minutes. Um, and the rest can kind of fall to Thon or whoever else is there. But, I mean, we're just, we're in a position right now where Andre is an Iron Man, thank God, who has missed like six games in his entire career. But if for mm-hmm. whatever reason Andre Drummond doesn't play, 
this this team yeah, like yeah. literally does not have anything else to go to. Well, like that's, it's, unless they get real Zaza creative, was a better option last be year than anything we have going right now, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So knock on wood for Andre at least. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to cover before we head on out of here? No. No. I think I think we've covered a lot. We'll talk. Um, yep. Obviously, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to the the scheme and stuff, and we'll we'll cover it in more chunks as we get to the wings and the guards and all that. So, looking forward to those conversations. Yep, we're going to have a couple. We're going to have a couple more of these pods going up in the next couple of weeks um, as we get into the season, and we'll try and figure out our in season groove and what we're uh, going to do there. So, more to come on that. Um, but as we always do, we got to end the podcast with a dedication to a player. Um, this week, we're going to have a pretty easy one. We're going to go with our superstar, Blake Griffin, um, to kind of give you a little memory of backstory in case you've forgotten <laughs> the last couple of years. Um, Blake joined in the middle of the 17-18 uh, season, coming in in a big blockbuster trade with the Clippers. Um, and something that I'll always remember is being out of nowhere. Literally um, out of nowhere. I, I was, I believe I was still, I can't remember if I was, what I was doing. But I was just checking Twitter in the middle of the day and I was like, Blake Griffin traded to the Pistons. And I was so shocked and stunned by it because it was so far out of left field. Um, but he kind of came in in a stretch where the team was not not in a great spot. Reggie had a lot of injury problems. That was the middle of uh, Andre, who was having an improved year that year when he was kind of getting the ball a little bit more. Um, but he was off a pretty bad season the year prior to that. So he's came on the team and and since then has led the team in scoring and has represented us um, as an all-star in all NBA and he's been the best solo player I would say on the Pistons since you know Grant Hill and you can even make a case that he might even be more important to the franchise than Hill was back in the no, day. No, you can't. Um hey, I I don't think I don't Grant Grant Hill was was a super freaking duper star that you had at 20. Or whatever. I mean, he was a little older, I think, because he played so many years in college. But Grant Hill walked into the uh, all-star team as a rookie. And, like, Grant Grant Hill's time here was special. Yeah. It was a little bit before my time, so I don't have the best memory on that. But Blake as a whole, I think both of us have been extremely excited from the second he got traded here to uh, every single day since then. Remembering that, you know, the superstar of this this name that's known throughout the country and everyone can remember him, you know, with these crazy dunks and everything else has been a piston. He's been a great player since he's been here. He's been a great representative of the team and, you know, I'm excited to have him and I, I hope that he finishes his career with the Pistons because he's been a great, great person on the team. You know, uh, the, uh, the interesting corollary here is to Arsenal and, Bringing in Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, uh, was that just last year or two years ago? Now, was two years ago, two... right? He had a full season last year. I want to say, well, year. But uh, yeah, you know, basically, right around the same time, they come into the team, and both of them are guys who are like, oh, they're getting older and they're not as good anymore, and you know, uh, we think they're locker room issues. You know, they're they're problematic players, and you know, they they like the the big city lifestyle and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, they both come in and they're, you know, they're captains of the team and, you know, amazing people that everybody loves. And they're, you know, they're out mm-hmm. here performing at a, the highest level 
and you know it's been one of those things where both the in, in both cases you look at the other team and you're like how the hell did you give up this guy you know like what yeah. what were yep. you thinking and you know, it makes a little more sense i think for the clippers than it did for for Borussia dortmund but uh it, it's just one of those things where it's like it's so nice to have a guy come in and immediately be this you know immediately represent your team this well immediately produce this well um it's a huge comfort it's very fun it's very exciting and you know it's it's i i look forward to watching blake griffin in a way i haven't looked forward to watching anybody since i kind of rejoined being a pistons fan like five years ago so yeah Thank you, Blake. <laughs> yeah, I think just having him on the team brings so much excitement, and you can say, "Oh, we got him to you know fill the seats and whatnot," but I think it goes beyond that. I think we've brought him in here to be the face of the franchise, and he's done an amazing job with that. And we'll see if we if Andre stays here past this year, it'll probably eventually the reins be handed back over to Andre. But I think Blake's done an amazing job with it, and I'm extremely excited to watch well, him we play. Say he was brought in to fill the seats like we went to playoff games those seats were full and it was loud there and yep. it worked the seats were filled the arena was popping it was a great place to be at and hopefully more in yeah. the future um so on that note we're gonna be signing off like i said um have another pod hopefully coming up sometime next week recover we're gonna do oh, you hear that? he committed to a week look at that that's yep. a schedule i hear a schedule we'll see how well that works but Hopefully we'll have something out of the middle of next week. Um, going on to the next position as we kind of roll through training camp. Find some more information. We'll tell you as we know. Um, and kind of lead into the season. It looks like it's going to be a fun year. I'm excited to see what the Piskins can do. And hopefully have another playoff game waiting for us at Little Caesars Arena next year. Detroit versus everybody. Let's go. That's right. All right. Peace out, guys. Bye. See you later. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.